November 3rd, 2020. It's election day in the United States. And Ravoji Morich and myself are going to try to cover that thing, talking to activists, journalists, other people that make an effort to make the world a better place. This is this is podcast, which is Dutch pot with candle. If you say it quickly, it sounds like a podcast. That's what it is. That's me. This is my co-host, Ravoji Morich. Hey, Avoji. Yeah, uh, hey, what's up? I don't got any such uh, gimmicks such as that, but, you know. <laughs> uh, w- welcome. Uh, I'm in the Netherlands, which is in Europe. Where are you? I'm I'm everywhere. So I was in Kazakhstan. I'm now in Mexico. I don't know where I'll be next, but, you know, on the outskirts of the U.S. empire down here in Mexico. <laughs> okay. We have our first guest in the waiting room. I'm going to admit Kristen Ruffinson who is the current, I don't know, interim editor-in-chief of WikiLeaks. And um, we have a whole host of guests lined up. We were slightly nervous doing this live. (laughs) See if we could pull it off. And see what happens when Kristen joins us. I have admitted him. So we're recording this through Zoom. Ah, there you go. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> you haven't slept either yet. Not yet, but it's it's only 1 a.m. in the morning, so it's not bad. It's not. Uh, I, I prepared for this, and uh, it's a bit of a unique night, isn't it? So uh, exactly. So uh, yeah, I'm Rico Brouwer. I'm in the Netherlands. This is Robert. Hi, Rico. Yeah, we have met. <laughs> yeah, we have. All right. Yeah, you wouldn't recall. So I I, my- I, in, in February. You were sent out of the courtroom uh, and you were grumpy and walking to the fence and I wasn't allowed in on the, on the, on the courtroom. So I was outside with the protesters, with the tents and you stepped up there yeah. and we did a little interview. <laughs> right, through, the, through the fence. Right? Through the fence. That was me. So this is me, Rico from uh, Amsterdam. Orvoji. I'm Hervoye. I'm in Mexico right now. So oh, Nice to meet you in Mexico. Hi. All right. So we're going to talk about the um, legal proceedings, the, the extradition case of, of Julian Assange, how that was in February and how that was last month when you were in court for a month. Um, mm-hmm. But this is election night. My first question would be, do you feel Julian Assange, his verdict, his, his freedom depends on the outcome of tonight? I can never be certain about that, and we are very hesitant to uh, to count on it. It, it is, uh, of course, uh, uh, noteworthy that we are arguing, and we, we are arguing in court in Julian's case, that this was a very political uh, indictment, a political uh, persecution against him uh, by the Trump administration. It was known after Trump uh, came to power that the uh, Obama administration had, uh, for years and years, investigated, tried to find an angle on 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 uh, on uh, indictment Julian, but didn't find any uh, that passed the uh, uh, the New York Times problem, so-called. That is, there was no difference between what WikiLeaks did and what New York Times did. So they decided uh, not to uh, uh, prosecute Julian. We learned that, of course, uh, after Trump came to power from inside the Justice Ministry in the U.S. So just the, that fact, it, it sort of highlights and shows that uh, it's, a, it's a political uh, process. Uh, However, the journalists have not been able to squeeze out of Joe Biden uh, uh, any commitment when it comes to Julian Assange. And uh, 
whether actually he will revert to the previous position uh, of the Obama administration if, as the numbers are indicating, he is going to be the uh, winner of this election. If uh, if Trump uh, stays in, which is seems rather likely if you are believing the uh, the poll numbers, uh, which everybody should take with a grain of salt, so no, you know, with a back history in mind, mm-hmm. um, things will continue. So it's uh, it 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 is. Uh, I've learned not to expect anything uh, positive. Basically, we have. Uh, we have seen such a, a pile up of negative outcomes throughout the years and now 10 years that I cannot uh, uh, allow myself to be uh, uh, hoping uh, for a, a to, to a positive outcome. And, and in essence, it, it would be absurd to think that uh, in this extraordinary case with so much at stake that you would be having to count on uh, the voters in the U.S. maybe narrowly putting Biden in power. And still, we don't know the outcome of of of, uh, of that in terms of what what he will do to Julian. Mm. Will will he when he takes power in, in if he wins in, in January uh, appoint a, a, a somebody in the uh, uh, the Justice Department that will totally change uh, the course? They have invested heavily in the process that the uh, the the DOJ. Uh, so it's probably going to be very hard to sort of roll back on on that one. All right. So we um, yeah. and emphasize. I mean, everything everything in this case is just so loaded with political uh, input. It is it is you know it a blind man can see this is a, a political prosecution and thereby Julian a, a political prisoner in fighting. Uh, 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 basically a persecution. And even today, we got additional evidence supporting that. A day before the election, the uh, 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 a new version of the Mueller report was uh, 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 published, uh, which had a lot of things that were redacted when the report came out firstly exposed. So why did this happen the day before the election? I mean, there were entire pages blacked out in the original Mueller report. And we knew that this was chapters that were involving the uh, uh, WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. So, and, and, and today we are reading this extraordinary unredacted account, one and a half year later, uh, where it is exposed that, uh, of course, they didn't find any wrongdoing. They didn't find any collusion with the... Uh, uh, the uh, purported uh, criminal activity of purported Russians or what have you. There was nothing there to indict upon. And they tried everything in the book. They looked at everything. And they didn't, they, we, we don't have the evidence. Yeah. So it begs the question, because the Mueller report came out before Julian was arrested in a very politically charged atmosphere, just uh, a few months before the uh, invasion, the allowed invasion in the Equatorial Embassy. Why was this redacted? Why is it necessary to redact a part of a, a, a public outcome of a report like that, where it says, we didn't find any criminality? It's amazing. Well, one of the reasons I've invited you here is, is we, uh, to, to get into that personal account also of what happened in court last month. And we're going to do that in a, in a few minutes, but also, well, you're a journalist. 
and you're a journalist with one of the most, maybe the most independent news outlet that there is, like that's WikiLeaks. Uh, bef before we go to in, into the trial of Julian Assange in, in London, another question on on yeah Trump and Biden. Do you feel press freedom will be affected either way if, if one or the other were elected? Are, are your hopes on either one or? Well, it, 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 it takes a bit of a long answer because as a journalist uh, my entire working life, I've been absolutely appalled to see uh, how the journalism has been damaged by the mainstream media institutions in the last four years. Yeah. It is appalling to see. I mean, before four years ago, we had um, a very partisan media on the right wing, and let's focus just on the U.S., but the U.S. media is very influential on the media in the world. And I mean, when I was growing up, people looked at the U.S. media as a bastion of, of, of quality journalism uh, under the uh, uh, umbrella, uh, protective umbrella of the First Amendment. Uh, and... Uh, What happened after 2016, we saw the sort of uh, the right-wing leaning media, uh, sort of the, the liberal leaning media, absolutely lose their bearings and uh, jump on uh, the so-called Russiagate wa uh, wagon, and uh, which included attacks on WikiLeaks. And uh, some people might say this was just uh, an, an ex expose of something that uh, uh, was hidden before, uh, and, and now just the, the mask was off. But it's been appalling. I mean, how on earth are you? Is anybody going to trust the mainstream media in those quarters, and not just in America, because this is an effect all over the world, and especially on the British media, um, uh, obviously, uh, where the media is so obviously partisan and uh, uh, without any. Uh, it's it's quite okay for for media to be partisan in their editorial uh, policy, but in reporting, I mean, there's no. They had had no reservation in publishing absolute false reports about Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, and it was really hurtful. Even The Guardian, um, uh, now almost two years ago, put out such a fabricated report on the front page, and it's still there. Nobody believes it's true. Not even the author believes it's true because he left it out of a book that he published this summer about the same subject. Yeah. But it's still there. And... and That is what's so frustrating. But on the other hand, it amplifies the need for WikiLeaks and, and uh, the, the ideology that WikiLeaks is based upon. Yeah. Uh, it amplifies the need to, uh, to, uh, to get the act together. Will things get better after uh, uh, the election if Biden wins? Uh, there is a lot of soul searching to be done in journalistic circles. There's a lot of cleaning up to do if, if uh, the, the media will have to Uh, gain their, uh, regain their trust. Now, on the other hand, if the case against Julian is continued and the fight is uh, not won in this first round, which I think is rather unlikely, I mean, in the magistrate court, it will go on to appeal in the new year, I'm sure. Um, that is a huge blow to the, uh, uh, The, the, uh, the journalistic, journalism world all over the world, a huge blow and a, basically a watershed. And it comes on top of all the, uh, the difficulties that the journalists have been facing with, with diminishing funds, uh, with uh, 
the attacks associated with uh, the rise of uh, the extreme right, etc., etc. Journalists are afraid now, they are not tackling power, and they are getting too close to comfort to those that they are supposed to be basically uh, uh, watching over and barking when they're doing some wrong things. Yeah. What, how, in what world is it acceptable when the liberal media that sort of supports the Democratic Party in the U.S. has hired a, a string of former intelligence chiefs as commentators on politics and when they are relying on the CIA as truths, have they forgotten the words of Mike Pompeo, who actually admitted, you know, when he, when he was CIA director, he, he was on record and he was just like jolly saying, I'm amazed, you know, because, you know, when I became head of this agency, I had to get accustomed to the fact that our business is lying. And you have CNN, CNBC, <laughs> other media hiring people from these institutions basically professional liars as commentators. We have a, 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 a clapper who lied in front of Congress with impunity when he was, he was called because of uh, the Snowden, before the Snowden revelations. He lied about mass surveillance. And he said, <laughs> and he just shrugged and said, well, it's, uh, it was the, 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 the uh, uh, the best truthful or the least uh, uh, untruthful version of the that I could give, or some some bullshit like that. <laughs> yeah. This is a person who is now a, now a reliable commentator for journalists. That's extraordinary. So we live in extremely precarious world, and I fear very much for the future of journalism on so many fronts and on so many fronts. One of the reasons that I was in London that that first week was to see why such news doesn't make it to the Dutch news outlets, to television. So I wanted to see what report, if there are any reporters and talk to those guys. And I figured out, ah, there was one. There was one official reporter from Dutch state television, like the Dutch BBC, the NOS. And mm. But he was there only for the Monday morning. And you were in court. Mm. And the Monday morning, that's when the Americans presented their case. So he reported on that, went on national radio, and that's, all, that's it. He, he went off to report on Brexit the rest of the week. Now, the big leg of the extradition case was in September. Um, you were there. Uh, I was not. But w what I saw online is that you were not let in at all at the start. What My question to you is, is, is a personal question. So what is your personal biggest memory of, of that month in court? Was it a fair trial? What was your, how are you going to look back on this? It, it took me. It took me almost two weeks of reflection after that month ended, because it was such a, a, an intensive period to actually uh, get my head around what the hell happened in that courtroom. Yeah. And 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 I have to, you know, my my basic finding after it was that, you know, in fact, this was not Julian Assange on trial. This was our civilization of, on trial. There were evidence after evidence presented there that could, with each and every evidence, should have been sufficed to uh, to throw this case out. And you somehow knew, because of the favoritism of the, uh, the magistrate court judge towards the prosecution, towards the Americans, that it wouldn't suffice. It was uh, 
such a strong evidence on so many levels that it, it would take me just half an hour to go through the details of it. But it, uh, it, it, uh, um, it, it, it was a, a very depressing and, and, and shocking uh, uh, experience to be in court there. But also, in a way, you had to be witness there to these uh, uh, witnesses that uh, were presenting their case, such a strong case about the justice that was uh, uh, found or, or because of the revelations by WikiLeaks. The fact that there was no harm, the fact that there was not... Uh, 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 WikiLeaks blame, if you could say so, that the unredacted diplomatic cables had to be released, etc., etc., and the simple fact that uh, the, the the treaty between the two countries just bans uh, uh, extradition on political uh, grounds and espionage is a political ground, you know, if anything. Uh, so I mean, there were piles and piles of arguments were so strong that anybody. Uh, you know, a ten-year-old could have sit in the courtroom and take notes and say, "You know, this is this is absurd. This is this is Kafkaesque. This is Orwellian." You have to go into the all the cliches to uh, uh, express it. And uh, I don't know if uh, <laughs> uh, I think about two weeks ago there was a, 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 a quite a, quite an interesting film on on Netflix uh, that I watched. It's about the trial of the uh, uh, Chicago Seven, the uh, individuals that were brought before a judge after the election of 1968, you know, we're talking about 50 years ago, um, and uh, where they wanted to put them in, the federal government wanted to put them in prison, the Nixon newly come to power, for inciting riots uh, in Chicago before the uh, uh, Democratic Convention there. Uh, uh, the, 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 and they actually put in a new uh, district, uh, district attorney, uh, Attorney in the the, the DOJ to, to push the case, and you had it had all the elements that I have been witnessing in courts before. Just in September, a biased judge, you know, uh, evidence that was flimsy at best, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it was it was it was just like a flashback, and you you started to think, my God, this is uh, we are in a worse state than under the Nixon administration. And actually, Daniel Ellsberg, the, the, the leaker of the Pentagon Papers, he testified in, in Julian's case. And he said, you know, if I had been uh, um, attacked legally uh, under the conditions of today, uh, I would not have seen a, a light of day in my life. So we are much worse off than under the Nixon administration when it comes, or the 60s. And... Uh, so how far back do we go to find anything equivalent to the McCarthy era of the 50s or to the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, early 20th century when the Espionage Act was introduced and it was uh, introduced basically as a tool to cause protest against the U.S. participation in World War I and uh, what followed was the most you know, repressive uh, uh, regime against any protest in the U.S. And everybody admits that, and that's the reason why the Espionage Act was basically shelved, and uh, because it, it was an extremely repressive act act against the freedom of expression. So what is happening now? One hundred years later, it's being used against a publisher and a journalist. And if that's not a warning sign to the world, I mean, nothing is. I mean, we are ex in an extremely precarious time. So that is my reflection of what happened in the courtroom. 
Thank you. And um, it may not, not even be it may not even be a strong enough warning sign. Uh, I I called the Dutch Journalist Association, asked them them why there was no journalist at all in in that month in September. They were not there. There was no reporting done at all from the Netherlands, and it and they repeated the same rhetoric that you referred to. So ah well yeah Assange well he did put people into jeopardy. Uh, it's a complicated case. There was thing with Sweden. They were just regurgitating the the, 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 the that story. Okay, enough on that. What I wanted to ask you also, um, it's been now a month. So can you describe how is Julian Assange doing? What what are his conditions? How, how is he doing? Well, I mean, I've, he's he's in prison, in a, in a super max prison, or maximum security prison under COVID. I mean, it's uh, it's not ideal. He's not able to see anybody. Uh, everything is in lockdown again. Uh, and in uh, and, and basically under terrific circumstances. I mean, uh, it's it's a horrible place. I mean, it's uh, only a few days ago, uh, uh, one of the few people he had he had some uh, uh, interaction with inside Belmar's prison. He committed suicide, and you know this is it, it is a horrible place. And and what awaits him on the other side if he's extradited? And it's even worse. I mean, that is just an isolation in a in a, a, a six by eight foot cell for the rest of his life, probably in isolation without meeting anybody. So this is, a, it's not a, it's not a, it's, it's what, what he does. Uh, and I have not been able to talk to him uh, uh, since the trial. Um, but uh, I hear from him, pro, of him from uh, the intermediaries and his, uh, his, the mother of his children, his uh, fiance, that, uh, you know, he's, he is in a, still in a fighting spirit. Uh, there is a still this, the, the case is still ongoing of a sort because uh, uh, the the final submission by his lawyers are due on Friday. So he is in a attempting to take part in that procedure, which is difficult uh, because uh, you know he's he. It's not easy just to you know you don't email documents back and forth. You have to. You know the, the the lawyers have to go fetch the computer to the prison authorities. They have to load onto the computer that the documents have to be PDFs, a, a, a computer that the prison authorities uh, uh, gave, and then it has to be shipped back to the prison. The prison ex, 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 uh, inspects, and sometimes it doesn't it doesn't deliver for days. So it's not a quick process. But he takes part in that, and uh, and of course verbally over telephone. Uh, uh, is involved in that process, so uh, uh, he, he's he's still fighting. He's an extraordinary resilient uh, individual, but uh, this is, of course, is taking a great toll, and it would on on anybody who has gone through these ordeals. So later on in this uh, broadcast event that we're doing, uh, I asked a Dutch uh, lawyer to reflect on what what she saw happening in the uh, in, in this in this trial. So we will go into more detail on, on the, those court proceedings there. But um, just one example that I want to make here, just to be a bit, <laughs> bring it with a little humor, if I, if I may. So, Ervoji, you're in Mexico. I'm in the Netherlands. And you're in Iceland, I believe. So yeah. I, I am running a low-budget, high-definition video audio stream that has so far worked Flawlessly. I mean, we're communicating. 
Now, if I can pull this off with a couple of hundred dollars <laughs> or euros or whatever, how was the video feed from the courtroom to journalists and international observers? Would you please describe in detail what went on there? It was absolutely, uh, as you say, it was almost comical to watch because we're talking about an empire, former empire at least, and uh, with uh, and, and a country with, with uh, resources. It was constantly failing. It, it had to be uh, uh, wo the voice would drop out, the, uh, the feet would uh, crash, and sometimes there was just not an ability to connect at all. And the audio quality was such that nobody could hear um, what was going on on the side. It, it was like, uh, I don't know, it, it's, it was amazing. We're talking about uh, a society that is, is, has been working under COVID restriction and every school child is, is, is now able to work under Uh, exactly. uh, with these measures, with uh, with uh, with the video conferencing tool, and the courts were not able to uh, to keep up with that. It was extraordinary, and uh, it just amazes me. I was on the verge of uh, of calling my colleagues who were very technically apt and basically offer them assistance. Yeah, exactly, and it did have an effect because it delayed it delayed until the end. There was no time left and very important testimony. Instead of hearing that via video link, uh, had to be read in writing and even it had to be read in, in summary instead of in full. Or for example, I mean, we were, we were uh, uh, going to hear the testimony of Al Masri, the, uh, the, uh, uh, The rendition victim that was picked up on the on the, the streets and uh, flown to a black site, I think in Poland and in Bagram, it was tortured, sodomized, and uh, after a few months, they discovered to the CIA that they had done a mistake, so they dumped him off the side of the road in uh, in, in Albania, I think, and uh, he got back to Germany where he was residing, and nobody believed him. They thought he had just vanished and took off, and took him years to get some justice, and. The reason why he got justice was because there were documents in the Wikileaks release that supported his case, uh, namely that the Americans were putting extreme pressure on the, on the German government and they were threatening the German government that if they didn't let this die, uh, because by that, at that time uh, the identity of the CIA operatives was known and a, a case was brought against them, locally in Bavaria, I think, uh, and the German government was under pressure to basically uh, issue an international arrest warrant, and that's when the U.S. stepped in and said there will be consequences if you do this, and, uh, and, it, and, and it was caused. So this is a document that was able to uh, prove his case, the elements of it, and the extreme political pressure uh, stopping him from getting justice in his case, and that was in his favor. So, I mean, this is one of the many cases where the documents have brought justice to people that have really suffered. And you were, so so we couldn't hear this testimony, the video link broke, and it couldn't be fixed. And in the end, a written submission 
and 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 the prosecution, the American lawyers were arguing that, well, we need to basically uh, concur on what is read. They wanted to redact the written report that was submitted. And at that point in the courtroom, I mean, Julian basically broke his silence and said, you know, I will not have a CIA torture victim being censored in this courtroom. And, and the judge silenced him. I mean, it was just enough is enough. But, you know, you know, I, I read that. So I, I was seeing that from the Netherlands and seeing it happen. The impression yeah. I got is was, is was that Julian Assange had obviously no authority at all. He was in the back in, in a glass cage, and, but he had moral authority. He stood up and said, well, I will not have this in my courts. <laughs> the, 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 those, that's what I heard, heard him say. I will not have this in my courtroom. You will hear this testimony. So he still he had more authority. Authority, and even though the judge had been uh, very negative, very you know negative uh, when he had uh, uh, expressed himself before towards him, I mean there was a, a sliver of 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 shame that I felt, and everybody of course understood how shameful this was. You know, we're, you know, you don't silence a torture victim. Exactly any courtroom it's just shameful and i mean everybody everybody in the courtroom basically went silent because we understood the implication of this how uh, this is this is an, an anecdotal evidence of how flawed the entire process was and uh, you're saying that your colleagues was talking about well all the damage all the uh, the uh, <laughs> all the uh, the harm done by by weekly exposure you know it's been I mean, it, it's been even admitted by Pentagon under under oath in trial in the in the Chelsea Manning trial seven years ago. Oh, yeah. I'm and, just saying this anecdotally. So this is what the Dutch Federation of Journalists gives me back. So this is where we are. But they are not they are not alone in this. I mean, we are still hearing echo of this in the media. Of so so you can imagine the power of uh, uh, the undermining process. Uh, in the character uh, uh, assassination has been going on all through these yeah. years, and especially in the UK, it's been better on in many countries on the mainland. You know, in France and Germany, and uh, uh, and I don't speak Dutch, so I'm not so sure about the Dutch media in general. But but there have been uh, some positive reporting there. But overall. Uh, in the in the UK media, it was just became okay to 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 kick him because uh, it it was open season and it was endorsed by all parties. So it was a collective effort by all institutions of government, the, the judiciary, and the media. And that is what Niels Meltzer, the special rapporteur on torture of the United Nations, basically discovered when he reluctantly. You know, looked into the case because he was—he wasn't interested in this guy Julian Assange. I mean, he's it's got plenty of, of of cases that 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 he's being asked to look into. You can imagine that, yeah. and 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 he was astonished. And he said, he the most honest thing by Niels Meltzer was that he admitted that he had been under bias. He had been biased by the media uh, and the general atmosphere towards Julian Assange. And he said. If, if it happens to me, who is, an, who is a professor, who is an expert in this field, to see through the, the, the biases that are being presented in society, 
you can imagine about, I mean, that, that speaks volume. So what about the ordinary people, the people in the streets? What about the media operatives? All right. All to we, we, we all will all care. All, all, all. We are going to continue to, to talk about the trial of Julian Assange later on uh, this night. For now, we, we, we have to leave it here. Our next guest, but I, I don't want you to leave just yet. Just There's one more question, but I want my next our next guest, Mr. John Robino, uh, to be here. Uh, we're moving into a different topic, topic of finance. Now, since you're from Iceland, I have, I have to ask you this question, but I'm going to admit him to the room. John Rubino, and we'll do introductions later, but maybe he can hear the question because you are from Iceland. And the reason that I, hello, John. Let's see. Hey, everybody. Yeah, exactly. All right. We hear you. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll this is a bit of an odd uh, order, but we'll, we'll do introductions in a moment. We're, we're finishing up with the Christian roughness, but I wanted you to hear this question. This is a bridge into your topic where we're going to continue okay. the discussion in. So he's from Iceland. Now, the reason that I turned activist was your bank. <laughs> so all the savings I had, there wasn't that many, was with uh, with the iSafe Lands Bank. And what I wanted to ask you, has Iceland learned or improved from the 2008 crisis with your bankers and, 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 and the, all of that, your political leaders that messed up Lands Bank? Um, as I, I feel we have another 2008 coming on steroids. So how have the Icelanders dealt with it and have you learned? <laughs> Kristen, what would you, be your opinion? Uh, yes, there have been some learning process, but uh, uh, probably a, a more should have learned. And I've, it's been astonishing. Of course, we were extremely lucky in, 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 the, in economic terms that uh, with the, our tourist boom, uh, we were lifted out of the depression after the uh, spectacular collapse of all the major banks in Iceland. Who, you know, it's a, it's a tiny country they live in, but the turnover of the banks overall was, I think, 11 times the GDP of the country. I mean that 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 I think uh, uh, outmeasures uh, uh, Switzerland by uh, you know at least fivefold or something. I'm not sure about the numbers, but it was uh, you know outrageous. And of course, it hurt people in 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 in, in your country and uh, and elsewhere. Savers who were hurt. Uh, what, what can I say? I mean, there were there was an extraordinary work of of, of reconciliation and investigation and. Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, a report by a special commission by the parliament, which which uh, uh, looked into every aspect of society. Uh, there was a special prosecutor's office to set up, and uh, I mean, if it if it counts for something, uh, I think of half of all the people that were put in jail after the 2008 banking crisis in the world, half of them were Icelandic. So at least there were some. Uh, there was some there was some uh, justice being done there, okay. uh, and so it and it lingers on and it also lingers on in in the people's mind that they, that they don't want to ha it happen again and they they are willing to go out on the street and they know the power of protest and uh, um, when enough is enough it happened again in 2016 so in the Panama Papers. You know, you had 10% of the population within a day of the, re the release of the Panama Papers going down to the center of uh, my, uh, you know, Reykjavik. Uh, it's only 27,000 people, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, 10%, it, it's, yeah. it's, a sizable, it's a sizable protest in any country, I would say. Yeah, excellent. And people, I mean, it was, nobody was throwing stones, but, and I can tell you, there was people from all 
section of society, and they just they were just appalled that the, their prime minister had been involved in that scandal, and they were just packing the center of Reykjavik and they stood there in silence. But and the message was so clear: get the hell out of there. And he resigned. He, there, there was no choice. So the lesson is there. The, the, and 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 for me as Icelander, uh, I try to convey the story because it is the only story. It's the when when they. When everything is sort of uh, uh, dissected, the bottom line line is always always this, and it still is. We haven't developed any further than that. That when people want justice, they have to physically go and 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 uh, meet and show their their determination for change. That hasn't. That is still there. Christian Ruffinson, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Are you going to stay up the rest of the night or what? What do you think? <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's uh, at least for an hour or two to see how things are <laughs> okay. progressing. Yeah, take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.